If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to this edition of Hustle and Flows. It's Marcus in the house with a man, Sekou. And we are bringing you hip-hop and sports on a whole nother level, uh, part of the Real Sports Guys Network, Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. Uh, this is a new addition to the Renegade Real Sports Guys platform. Uh, Sekou and myself talking hip-hop, blending in some sports talk, but this is mostly a music show, folks. So uh, we got another 60 minutes of funk in store for you. Sorry, Funk Flex. I had to borrow that for a second. I'll give it back. <laughs> but we're going to get it going. Stay cool, my man. You're in the house tonight. How you doing? Good, man. Good. I am uh, missing the uh, New York Knickerbockers taking on the 76ers of Philadelphia game right now. But I'm, I'm taping it, and I'm hoping that's a W. If not, man, I'll be depressed. So fears right now. Okay, you're a Knicks fan? Oh, yeah. Come on. New York, born and bred. There was only one team when I when I grew up, so uh, I'm a Knicks fan for better or for worse. Mainly for worse the last 20 years, but for better or for worse. Okay. How is the city embracing the whole Brooklyn Nets kind of deal? Is that like – how is that going so far? I know it's still in its infancy as far as sports fandom goes, but how is that vibe kind of rolling with New Yorkers? It's uh, it's funny. I think it's kind of a separated family. So, like, my dad is now diehard Brooklyn Nets fan. And, uh, you know, I just can't understand it. I think because the Knicks have been so bad for so long that there are a lot of folks in Brooklyn that just were, were ready for, for a change. Um, the problem for me, and, you know, I had a lot of uh, crisis around this, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. It came down to... I just don't like the Nets. 
if they had built a brand new team from scratch and drafted it, then it would have been really tough. But they just took a team that I already despised and just moved them to Brooklyn. So I, I literally just cannot stand them. And I love Brooklyn. I've wanted a team in there my whole I'm from Brooklyn, and that's not the case. So what you find are uh, just a split. So the borough split. People will root for the Nets, but most diehard Knicks fans have, like, doubled down on their Nickdom because uh, of this threat. And uh, so it, it's tough. It's tough rooting against a team that has Brooklyn on its shirt, but I do it. Got you. Got you. So are you – were you – Did you? how did you feel about Porzingis when they drafted – when the Knicks picked him up in the draft? Oh, well, you know, privately or publicly? <laughs> Either one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was ca- – I was kind of uh, wait and see. I really wanted uh, – once we were out of the top three and we couldn't get Towns, I was all in for Towns, all in for Okafor. And Daniel Russell I thought was interesting, but uh, Porzingis I was kind of just like, I don't know. And uh, But I said, okay, maybe, and I have been pleasantly surprised. I wasn't booing him. I wasn't saying, oh, this is the worst pick ever. But I was nervous. I mean, I'm still nervous. I mean, the dude is about – a buck fifty with two bricks in his pocket, but uh, he he's got heart and he really is skilled and he could be he could be a monster if he improves and gets bigger and gets strong and all those things could be could happen. But he could also you know hurt his foot and be Greg Oden. So I you know I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, that's always the downside of tall human beings playing basketball. Man, is that those lower extremities. You know, those ankles, those feet, knees, they they can be real, real fragile down there, man. They get hurt, and it can be a problem, and it can never go away. So uh, if you've ever listened to, listened to any of our Real Sports Guys sports uh, sports center shows, you know I had I was a big fan of Greg Oden, thought he was the next deal, man, um, and was sad to see that brother's story go that way. So um, I hope Porzingis, I like him. I think he's got some talent. I didn't know what to think of him coming out because I hadn't seen him play. And I just – I try to refrain from judging dudes I haven't seen play because there's a lot of dudes, and especially some of the Euro cats. I just haven't seen him play. So I can't say I like him or don't like him. I don't really care what you do in a room with a workout and a trainer. That's that's not basketball. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, true. This is true. And the fact that he got hurt in the in that shoot around like he hurt his hip in the shoot around I was like oh I don't know about this this dude can't even run up and down without hurting his hip flexor I was nervous right. but um you know amongst uh you know dedicated Nick fans I'm on a couple of these group chats I mean there's still cats that are banging for Moutier uh I think Winslow would have been better so time will tell Absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's, that's always the case with draft picks. You never know for about three years. Sometimes you can tell right away. Like Carl Anthony Towns, that's a hit. You know, that's a swing and a home run. You know what I mean? And you know, but then you got guys like D'Angelo Russell. Where I still don't know what that cat's going to be. So you never really know. Um, but again, this is a hip hop show. You know, I just, we got off on a little yeah. tangent. I just had to, you know, got to got to get to know my man. Um, <laughs> Me personally, I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning towards you know I, I grew up in Chicago, um, but I grew up in yeah. Chicago during the Jordan era, and so I never I, as a kid it was just hard for me to root for the Bulls like I wasn't a front runner, and so like I, I and I've never been a front runner, and so the Bulls were great, they never lost, but that also made it boring to root for them because they mm. always won, 
And so I was just kind of oh, like, they're going to win, man. They're going to win. So I never really came, became a Bulls fan. You know, um, I appreciate everything they did. You know, I was not a hater, but I just never developed that, like, voracious fandom for for the Bulls. So I've kind of been a, as far as the NBA goes, I've kind of been a free agent. So I'm I'm latching, I'm hitching my wagon up to this this group this group of young Milwaukee Bucks and I think I'm gonna jump in on that, you know, um, since I've been in Wisconsin the last 22 years I'm gonna go with the home state team and and the Bucks finally like they figured out how to run a team, um, how to build a roster. So I'm looking to see how this goes. It's been shaky this year, but they they still got some things to figure out as far as chemistry, but they got pieces. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm gonna I'm gonna go along for the ride with this one. Um, so that's why I'm right. with my fandom. All right. Well, you know, Milwaukee, I think you you uh you're buying low, which is good. Um and they have some pieces <laughs> that I like, but um uh Jason Kidd, I'm I'm not sold on him. And I love him as a Nick, but I'm not sold that he's the guy that can get you there, but we'll see. And, and I, I have I was I was that was a real questionable hire to me when they hired him. And last year he did some good stuff with the team, and I was really really surprised. I was really really surprised. Like I was totally on the other side. I was where you are. Jason Kidd is our head coach. Come on, like this this ain't gonna work. Like you guys took him from Brooklyn. Great. That was that was really smart. They didn't want him. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I just I wasn't I wasn't in on it. But he did some good stuff last year. We'll see what he does this year. And if you can keep it going into the future, sometimes guys run their course really quickly. Um, we'll see. But enough of that. Enough of the sports. So we're going to get into We're going to kind of cross over back into the sports world in a little bit. But this is the hip-hop show. you got two heads here, and we want to talk hip-hop. We're going to kick this show off. Uh, you know, we, we threw the question out as we were prepping for the show. Which album from each decade best represents that decade of hip-hop? You know, and we just left it at that. Each of us kind of will probably have our own kind of criteria for how we chose the albums that we chose. But we're looking at the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and now the teens, 2010 era and beyond. Um, so, Sekou, I'm going to let you go first. Starting off in the 80s, which album did you select as the most representative album of that decade of hip-hop? All right. So first, let me state this is just an impossible task. You, you might not be in charge of figuring out the questions anymore because this one, <laughs> I have a list. I mean, the 80s was actually easy compared to the 90s. The 90s is just impossible. But all right, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. The the 80s, um, pretty much what I how I made my selection is um, thinking about albums that were not only good but really made an impact on the whole genre of hip-hop in a way that was felt years after, right? And so, you know, with the assumption that each decade was meaningful, right, there wasn't any throwaway decade where the best album from that decade doesn't matter. So every decade matters for hip-hop because it's so young. And so, all right, which album had the most impact? So I was primarily driven by impact in making these decisions. All right, so 80s, it came down to uh, three albums for me. And, um, uh, you know, I had two transitions in the 80s. The first is moving from the hip-hop hip as very much a 
you know, uh, the the original way of rapping, which was very sing-songy and basic rhyme patterns, and it transitioned from that to what you have, I think, what you call the, the modern or the golden age, where the craft of putting words together ended up, it became much more lyrical. And for that, the album that I think makes that leap is Paid in Full. So Paid in Full, which came out in 1987, I thought was prototy- I put as prototypical for the 80s and the reason is because I think the big takeaway from the 80s if you look at how people rapped going in and how they rapped going out they rapped going out it was way more lyrical it was way more about the words that you're saying and how you're putting them together and less about you know a disco beat and paid in full rock him and you know him taking that and making being lyrical cool and hard and dope or whatever, fresh, however you want to put it, um, was big. So for me, if I gun to my head, it was painful. Okay. I I like that selection. That was my – and the, the 80s was – again. I thought I agree with you. I felt like the 80s were easy. The 90s was extremely, extremely hard for me. Um, that was really – that was really difficult. But the 80s, um, paid in full was my second kind of runner-up. My choice was – Boogie Down Productions, criminal, criminally minded, um, and that came out in '87. And the mm. reason I chose that one was similarly to, to yours. It, it, it represented that shift lyrically, um, as you said, from more sim- simplistic, you know, hit it on the, you know, hit it on the fourth bar, four bars, and you know, let it breathe for a second, and then come with another four bars, let it breathe for a second, kind of stylistic, as far as lyrics go. Um, but the reason I chose that one is because it began to combine the different um, impulses within hip-hop that existed at the mm-hmm. time. So it was conscious, um, but it was street. You know, it was lyrical, but it was also confrontational, and, you know, there were battle songs on it. You know, there was beef on the on the album. And so you had all of these elements that were at the core of the emceeing game of hip-hop, the musical side of hip-hop that were encompassed in one album where you had street records, it was it had a street feel, it was definitely speaking about the experience of inner-city youth um, through the voice of, of KRS-One, um, but it was also confrontational in that way that hip-hop at that time was confrontational with the Bridges Over and South Bronx um, and songs like that, but then it was also reflective and and introspective with songs like poetry. Um, so it really kind of encompassed all of that, but it still kept it in a very street and grounded in what was going on with a hard edge to it. And so it kind of really set the tone, I think, for what, to me, what the 80s represented with hip-hop is that you had all these different kind of impulses that were melding around the scene, um, the culture, the cultural scene that was then reflected in one album. And that's the album that kind of, again, took what, and I agree with you, we're paid in full. And that's why I gave paid in full so much consideration is because, as you said, it, it provided that kind of marking point where this is different, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Criminally Minded kind of took that and really kind of encompassed the cultural impulses that were reverberating through hip-hop at that time, in my opinion. Um, and I felt like it was a real evolutionary album that really kind of captured the context and the complexities of the context of that era um, all in one 
you know, set of songs. So that's why I kind of chose Criminally Minded. But I agree with you that Paid in Full, and Paid in Full is one of my favorite albums, period, regardless mm. of, of era. I really enjoy that record. Um, front to back, front to back, that's that's an album that I really enjoy. But I chose I, I chose Criminally Minded because I feel like it just had that mix of all of those different things. When you think of the culture, the style of the 80s, it kind of encompassed all the things that hip hop was. So let me so let me push back uh, a little on this, or ask you a question better yet. So um, why then? So what would you say if I said, well, if you're going to take that angle, then how does Public Enemy get left out? It takes a nation of millions to hold us back because that, if criminally minded, kind of brought things together. It was the first attempt. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back, like exploded it across genres. You know, it was a national kind of uh, um, movement. And obviously Public Enemy ended up being, I would, I don't even think it's, maybe it's up for debate. I think Public Enemy ended up having a larger impact than Boogie Down Production did. And they both, obviously, they're legends. And KRS had kind of uh, his own thing, but... Chuck D takes the nation a million dollars back. So what would you say? Why not that one? If if the route you're going is um, pulling together the conscious and kind of the battle rap and the angry and the militant, why not PE? KRS is a better rapper than Chuck D. That's what it boiled down to for me. Because I, 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 it takes the millions. It takes the millions was my number three. Um, so like you're hitting my top three right here. And the reason okay. I kind of went with criminally minded is because I feel like KRS. Uh, lyrically, was more, I think, a, a beat ahead of, K, uh, of Chuck D. With Chuck D, they had an energy, they had uh, a vibe that they were bringing. His lyrics were poignant, but his rapping wasn't amazing. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I feel like, as an MC, KRS had that same level of energy. Maybe not, and I agree, I think Public Enemy had a greater impact than BDP for sure. Um, but I think mm-hmm. when you talk about, like, the essence of, like, an MC, if I'm taking an MC, I'm taking KRS over Chuck D every day um, Yeah. as far as the art of MCing. And so that's why I chose BDP over PE in that particular situation because it did come down to, like, okay, so, and I was having that kind of debate in my head. So, like, okay, so it takes a million versus criminally minded, and it really did come down to, but which one was tighter on the mic? And it, it, it's a it's a LeBron Kobe, you know, <laughs> Peyton Manning, Tom Brady kind of an argument. But one of them's got to be the best, right? I can't I can't All pop right. out and say they're tied. So if I got to pick one, I'm picking KRS. All right, I I, I can. Mm, all right, I'm 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 willing to go along <laughs> with that. I'm willing to okay, go along okay. with that. Okay. It, okay. it uh, okay. I would have put it takes a nation, but I I might be biased by my own my own kind of allegiance to to Public Enemy. But um, I dig it. Uh, and where'd you put Straight Out of Compton? Straight Out of Compton, you know, I felt like there was too late. It was it was late. It was it was late, and I felt like it wasn't when I when I think of the eighties. When I think of 80s hip-hop, I don't think straight out of Compton. I think something coming out of New York, straight up. I think something coming out of New York. And New York yeah. was the epicenter. 
of hip hop at that time, and I know it was a earth shattering release and it was highly impactful. But when I'm thinking about it, when I'm just general thinking '80s hip hop, I'm thinking something New York centered, um, and so it, 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 I kind of grav- gravitated away from Straight Outta Compton because when I think of the hip hop aesthetic of the '80s as a decade. I had to pick something from New York because New York influenced everybody else at that particular point. So you won't get was, an argument out of me on that. Yeah. Well, how did that fit into your kind of framework and your rationale when you were thinking about um, your your what other and what other uh, albums did you give consideration to? Yeah. So my top four. So criminal criminally minded was there. Uh, it was three. I had paid in full. I had actually um, Straight Outta Compton two, then I'm sorry, it takes a nation million to hold us back to. Then three was uh, Criminally Minded, and four was Straight Outta Compton. The problem with Straight Outta Compton is, if we're really being honest about it, that best represents the '90s, even though it came out in the '80s. Right. So you know it because you know it was such a drastic break from all these other albums that came out in the 80s it just was you know dramatically different and it doesn't represent the 80s by any stretch but it does bleed all into 1990 91 i mean up until you know 94 really 95 um i think you know nwa straight out compton like that quote-unquote gangster rap or whatever was kind of a bigger. So that, for me, it ended up being like, it's impactful, but it's not representative of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And that that, that was kind of sentiment I had as well. Um, let's transition and talk about the 90s a little bit. Now, um, you kind of talked about how difficult this was for you. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, so I have 12 albums on my list. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about all of them. It is, I mean, I just got to a point where I was like, I, you know, I don't even know. I can't leave this off. I was just putting albums that I was like, I have to at least see this album. I know it can't be number one, but if I make a list and it's not on it, I'll feel like I have done a disservice to somebody. So, um, you know, the 90s, that's that's my decade. That's my favorite decade, far and away. And I think you had two or three eras and branches developing at the same time that were all impactful. And so, you know, if you said, well, what represents best 90s uh, backpack rap or best 90s, um, you know, uh, quote-unquote gangster rap or, what you know, the 90s had the whole bling era come in and all these things. So it was uh, it was just a mess for me trying to figure out which of these best represents a decade that I think has – three different personalities like distinct and meaningful and each of those have bled into following decades um and so you know picking one was particularly tough in the 90s i agree and again this is was the era where i really became like a consumer of hip-hop um and i had the same difficulty because you're right it does have um these this split personality, and you're right. You know when I and for the sake of my own sanity, I didn't even create a list. I I, I kind of wrote some things down, and I was like, okay, 
I'm picking one because if if I if I would have created a list, I would have him. I would still be trying to figure it out now because I just would have gotten so mixed up in my own thoughts about and and then my own personal feelings about how I felt about certain releases. You know what I mean? And so I had to avoid that um, and just kind of say, I'm gonna this this is what I'm looking for. Where is it? Um, and so that's kind of how I went about it. But you're right. You know, as I kind of looked at it, I, like you have the early 90s, which, you know, I think you're right. The Straight Outta Compton played a major um, role in influencing that and bringing kind of those those gangster rap tones into the game. But then you also had still a very strong presence of Native Tongues, Public Enemy, um, folks like that who were providing a more quote-unquote conscious vibe to the game in the early 90s. And then, you know, I think the mid-90s, you had a real strong, you know, pushback to kind of the gangster rap impulses that had been kind of established. And you had the underground scene that really kind of grew into a, it was always there, but it kind of grew into a viable breeding ground for semi-mainstream artists, you know, where you had, you know, yeah. raucous um, groups like that that were kind of, uh, labels like that that were kind of bubbling up. You had, you know, uh, the BBC, uh, Boot Camp Click, um, guys like that, groups like that that were kind of bubbling up that were more rugged, Wu-Tang, you know, that kind of uh, impulse in the mid-'90s. And then in the late-'90s, you know, and you have Puffy and his bling rap and those guys coming in, but then you also have the South um, coming in yeah. and beginning to establish itself as a force. And, you know, the late 90s kind of bleeds into the early 2000s. Uh, so it's just it's just a really, really eclectic decade um, that is really hard to pinpoint. And I think it symbolizes kind of the the breaking of the, the – or the – maybe not, I want to say breaking, but um, – the expansion, right? It's like the expansion era of of hip hop, um, where yeah. different regions are bringing their own flavor, and they had a platform, and there was access, and it really kind of took the game in a lot of different places really quickly, um, which is a yeah. beautiful thing. But when you're trying to do a list, <laughs> <laughs> impossible. It's it very difficult. So, what did you settle on? Um, so after making this really long list and, uh, Hemin and Han, it occurred to me, I was really trying to pick what I thought was the best and I really need to pick what was most representative. So if I could only allow someone to listen to one album and that album had to capture the entire decade, it became pretty clear to me what that album had to be. And in part, cause it's a double album and in part because it's arguably the greatest rapper to ever live. Notorious B.I.G., Life After Death, 1997, uh, to me, was the uh, selection that best represents the decade. And the reason uh, that is, and the list of what, I won't even get into it, but it's South, it's, you know, every, it's West, it's everything, it's everybody. Um, it's that in that album, and part of the reason that made Biggie so great is he really tried to make an album that captured the entire country. So he had people like uh, um, the Locks, who were 
Underground, quote unquote gangster rap, etc. Um, on there, he had Puff on there, he had Jay Z on there, he had uh, you know soulful R and B stuff. So the other part in the '90s that you you can't forget is that's when like the R and B rap collabo pretty much was invented, right? Where you know it became you, you if you were a rap artist, you had to have your song with Mary J Blige or somebody. So he had that. He had um, you know he had pretty much everyone on there, and then of course you know, bringing in uh, Too Short on a song and bringing in Bone Thugs on a song and pretty much saying, like, like, I can rap the way everyone raps. And all this music, all these producers, all the, the ways to make a song, I think are represented on Life After Death. And for that reason, primarily um, is why I chose that one as, as as the pick for the 90s. Okay. Okay. I'm not... I'm not. I understand your rationale. I understand your rationale. I I went in a different direction. Um, the thing that I would say is, like, right. So rep, when we talk about representative, yes, that that is representative. Absolutely, I think that is representative. Um, I don't know if it was a marker though. I don't know if it. it mm-hmm. I think it was. It was. It was a product of its era for sure. And it represented it there, but I don't know if it shifted or changed anything, so to speak. But I, I definitely, I agree with. I, 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 I can't. I can. I can live with your rationale. I can't. I can't. It just. It, I didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't see it that. I didn't see it as representative. And I, when I explain mine, maybe it'll make more sense why I did. Um, what All right. Some others you consider? Um. Okay. So. Into the Wu-Tang was a big one because just off impact to have this group come in rapping a completely different way than everyone ever else did, bringing kind of the imagery and allegory and all those things that they brought in, plus having all these characters. Um, and I think Wu-Tang changed the way people thought about what a group and what a collective was, what a label could do. Um, how to market it. They changed the business of hip-hop. But then also they launched not only Wu-Tang, but then three or four other Hall of Fame-level careers. And, you know, you could see it all on uh, on that album. So Into the Wu was up there. Doggy Style uh, was up there. And um, then it, it gets hairy at that point. Then you have stuff like um, AT Aliens, you have uh, Death Certificate, Ice Cube, which came on 91, which I think epitomizes kind of the, the bleed over from the 80s to the 90s. I put that on there. Dre 2001, which came out in 99, I, it was kind of then. I'm like, well, this does kind of really capture. If you think about who he had on that album, he had everybody on that album. I mean, that was West Coast, you know, boiled into one album. Um, and you know, if, if, uh, anything about, you know, the West coast, so if you feel like that was the the decade where West coast really kind of made a name for itself and developed its full identity, then that album, I think deserves some consideration. Um, and then low end theory resurrection. I mean, it's, I'm not going to go through this list. There's yeah. It gets thick. It gets, <laughs> <laughs> it's a rabbit yeah. hole. <laughs> yeah. And, and I and again I do I, that was some, that that element of the collaboration is something that I really really struggled with because that was a major major part 
of that era as far as like you know it there was a time where you want to know who was, else was on the album more so than who yeah. album it was you wanted to yeah. see well who did they do songs with you know and and yeah. i that's why i understand why 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 you went with biggie's because that was that was a big part of that project it was his collaboration and you're right he did try to craft an album that really encompassed and could, and could hit people nationwide you know mm-hmm. um with a lot of different styles and sounds um that were on there um the album I chose. So would you pick? And, yeah, yeah, it's, it's suspense here. Would you pick? Yeah, the reason and the reason I chose the album is because again, as I started to make this list, again I, I got you know a lot of the ones you name: H E Aliens, Wu Enter the Wu Tang, um, All Eyes on Me with Tupac. I mean, just album after album where I'm like, yo, how am I gonna do this? And for me, what it boiled down to is which, and I kind of took the approach you took in the 80s, it's which one kind of is the marker that set the tone and said, this is the 90s, we are in the 90s, and y'all got to do this different. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was the chronic. Um, mm-hmm. When I think of 90s style, 90s, aesthetics, 90s music, it, it again kind of went away from more of the minimalist style of the 80s and kind of early 90s and really brought kind of a more full sound into hip-hop and that that put, it put meat on the bones sonically and that meat, you had to have the meat on your bones in the 90s um, as far as the production. And that has evolved over time where now it kind, of, it kind of went back the other way where, you know, for a while it got more, it got, it, it was in vogue to be more minimalist. But in the 90s, you had to layer stuff and you had to have stuff going on underneath the track and the drums had to be thick. Um, mm. And he kind of, he, that album kind of set that up. Um, and it also, you know, again, just generally thinking, when you think about a rapper in the 90s, you get that image of you think the West Coast. I mean, you think mm. socks, cats. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dickies, khakis, kind of a deal when you think about the '90s rapper. And I think for me, that album was that marker where, at that point, it was like, yeah, this is different now. Things are different. In the same way that Paid in Full was like, yo, it's different now, um, and we gotta do this a little different. Um, so that was the one that, for me, kind of marked it. Um, the other one that I gave a lot, a lot of consideration to was Biggie's other album, um, and that mm-hmm. one was Ready to Die. Um, and the reason that one kind of hit me was, again, when you think of the image of a 90s rapper you got that West Coast kind of look, and then you got that East Coast player kind of Gambino-ish kind of vibe that was going on in the 90s, and Biggie was the dude. Mm-hmm. And he was lyrical. And, you know, that album, Ready to Die, it was a journey through the uh, existence and the mind of, of a young African-American male in the inner city of New York. And you know, 
telling that story, it it was hard not to give that consideration because of the impact of just how he set that album up as as his story. Um, everything from you know everyday struggle to you know the what, give me the loot, um, and then you, you, again the birth of the R and B collabo with one more chance which turned into a mega hit. You know, so and but then you had then you had uh like songs like Unbelievable where he's just going at people and going off on people. You know what I mean? And so it's just it, it had it was kind of the beta of the rap album formula that kind of took over on the East Coast where you got your battle track, you got your R and B joint, you got a couple hard street joints, you kinda of got your your introspective you know, reflective, you know, lay your struggles out, um, mm-hmm. kind of a joint. And so it kind of really was, you know, patient zero for that, that those stylings, at least in my opinion. Um, so those were the two that got the most consideration. Um, being an outcast fan, AT Alien um, was something that I considered, Wu-Tang was something I considered, but those were so original and so different that it was hard to put them as representative because they were so unique in that way. And there were a lot of yeah. albums that I really enjoyed and really gave consideration to that were, it was like, but that took it this way and that took it. So what's the one that's like right there that's kind of representing everything? So that's why I kind of, the chronic was the one that I kind of settled on. Have at me. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I just don't think, I thought that Doggy Style was more impactful. And this is coming from an East Coast guy. Like, The Chronic came out and it was like, okay. But at that point, Ice Cube had pretty much established he was the alpha dog, in my view. And Dre Mm -hmm. was good, but, you know, when, when, (laughs) when it came down to it, and Cube said, all right, I'm going to put something on wax, and I dare you to come test it, that he had nothing to say. I mean, they, NWA just fell apart. And so Dre emerged from that, and I saw the chronic as kind of being like, okay, you know, but I, I really still didn't believe him. Like, he needed more people. And uh, when Snoop came on with Doggy Style, it, like, I couldn't, and you know, I'm in the midst of picking sides. There's another thing about, you know, in the 90s, like, you couldn't just, like uh, an artist, you had to say, well, am I messing with that guy and who he runs with and what he represents and, and am I feeling them? And I wasn't feeling Dre because when NWA split, you had to pick. Were you with NWA and Easy and uh, and Dre or were you with Cube? And I rolled with Cube, you know, till the wheels fell off. So it took me a while to warm back up to Dre. But that Doggy Style album was like, you, even if you didn't like Anything West Coast, like you couldn't hate on that. Even when they started beefing East West, I still had to rock, you know, had to knock Doggy Style. So it's not that uh, I don't think Dre, and I don't think in that realm he kind of, um, you know, was that, like you would you say, pivot point, would you call it? Yeah, kind of the marker, right? That, that the marker, marker. yeah. So uh, not that I don't think he was a marker. I just think the marker came a year later with Doggy Style. And the chronic was... I mean, the Chronic is good. Chronic's a classic, but what really made folks say like, "Oh man, these this this whole death row, you know, funk, uh, you know, uh, sound like this is not just a flash in the pan." 
this is this is what's this is gonna stay because remember when uh when when the cube left NWA he got he ended up going with um uh PE's uh, production folks whose names escaping me at the at the moment um the bomb squad, bomb squad. right so he yeah. he went to uh, he kind of moved away from the the, the same uh, production that Dre had and was doing more almost like Public Enemy style um, kind of production around his um, around his songs. And so it was hard. It was fast. It was ratatat. You know, a lot of lyrics. You know, um, it was very lyrical. And uh, but Dre, you know, kept with what he believed, and obviously ended up being the genius that he is. So I'm, I'm the only the only disagreement I have is I think it's the, I would put Doggy Style ahead of the Chronic for you know as as a quality and again because <laughs> Snoop is a better rapper the same thing you use for uh, the '80s Snoop is a better rapper than Dre so that makes Doggy Style has to be uh, you know stylistically a better uh, listen than the Chronic was. I can dig that. I can dig that. I can dig that. Yeah, again, the '90s were hard for me. It was, it was, a, that was mm-hmm. a challenge. That was a challenge. I think that's the toughest decade um, to do. The other ones I didn't have much, much problem with. The '90s, though, yeah. and I think because there was just so much, it was there was so much emotional attachment to certain albums, and you know what I mean. Like, I find, I, at one point I was thinking about this. I found myself, well, can I sneak Camp Low in here? <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy! If you would have done that, man, this blog would, this podcast would have been over. I know, I know, I know. I I, I talk myself out of it, but that's how my guys are like. But that man, but that was hot, man. That was so hot, you know. Uptown Saturday Night was was nice, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. So it, it was, it was I, like I said, I had to kind of just take a step back from the exercise and and kind of uh, breathe. Yeah. So let's transition into the first decade of the 21st century, uh, the aughts. <laughs> yeah. The early 2000s. Um, what was your rationale as you as you combed through? What was the process like for you as you combed through the, the early part of this decade, or this century, rather? Uh, it was... Really, um, there were some real kind of careers that took off in the the arts, and so it was kind of deciding, like, okay, is this person's debut album was that more impactful than this person's debut album and what they brought in? And then there's one or two classic, like classic, like like Mount Rushmore albums that came out in the arts that deserve some kind of consideration. But really, I, I, I was. This was a pretty easy one for me. There's a lot of good ones here that I'm willing to talk about, but I would not. It would take a lot to get me to go off of my number one choice. Okay, yeah. I for me, there, this was this was a pretty simple one for me to get get down to, and I came down to two, and they were both two kind of off the same tree. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I like you said, there was some great debuts. And then there was some some really, like you said, some real classic joints that had come out. But it, it was really kind of, I kind of narrowed it down real fast to where I wanted to go. Um, so what did you wind up picking? Blueprint. Yeah. 
Jay Z yeah. Blueprint <laughs> 2001. Um, I mean, it was it's his opus, um, and it was kind of a harkening back to um, really as much you know for all the the beef that he had with Nas. I thought the blueprint was his Illmatic. It was a clean, simple, not a lot of features. It's me, my thoughts, my ideas, and, um, you know, just production is insane. And there's just not a bad song. Not only is there not a bad song, every single song is good. And then you have, like, three or four just great songs. Um, And so blueprint literally established, in my view, Jay-Z as the guy who pretty much moved trends for the entire decade. People came in and people did things, but at all times, he was pretty much the king of the whole deal. And it was off the strength of him being able to to put something together like the blueprint that really no one could touch, you know, um, except Nas with Ether. But, you know, aside from that, it, it was a beyond reproach. So I put blueprint as the number one. Yeah, um, I went Blueprint as well. Um, Again, it wasn't um, a very difficult choice. I gave some consideration to uh, Get Rich or Die Trying. Um, I gave some consideration to the college dropout. But ultimately, when you stack up those two against Blueprint, it's it's a second-round knockout. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's for me. It's it's like um, you know, it's this issue of um, t- the timing of it, right? And so, uh, um, so I'm in the midst of finishing finally Bill Simmons' book about the the, the book of basketball, and he just talks yeah. in that book where he ranks literally every single NBA player, and he talks about that how you know this guy was good, but just you know he was in the Jordan era. Like it, it, it didn't matter how mm-hmm. good he was, he wasn't going to beat the best. You know, this guy was good, but you know, that was when uh, Kareem was at his apex. Like, it just wasn't happening. You couldn't get out of, you know, the West with, you know, the Lakers and Kareem. So that's how I felt with Get Rich or Die Trying. College dropout, because he kind of was put on by um, Jay-Z, he was always little brother, right? So it was almost as if Jay-Z got credit for the college dropout release, um, you know, as well. Um, And then, um, you know, in the late aughts is when you have the – uh, young money, cash money kind of um, coming out, right? So the Carters were dropping. So I guess Carter 3 is what I put there as kind of maybe his for this for that 10-year period, probably the one that epitomized. That, that was, for me, the masterpiece that he put together. And his albums were kind of all good, but I think 3 was the one. That was in 08. But I don't know if I go so far as to say, like, okay, that was the representative of this decade. I just... I don't I don't see it that way. So that's why once I started going on the list, Machiavelli, that also came out in 2001, um, but that was probably still influencing more. You know, that was a, an influential album, but wasn't because he was gone already. It was like, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's it's, it's over, <laughs> right? So right. Uh, people enjoyed right. it, but it wasn't as if they were like, oh, man, what's in store? And this guy's the greatest. It was kind of like, oh, man, I really wish he didn't get killed. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think those were those were my big ones. Excellent. Yeah, and and for me, you know, college like like you said, college dropout. Again, I, I felt like you know because I I had just finished college when that came out, 
and having friends who were still in school, like they were bugging out over that album because it spoke so much to their experiences and things that they were going through at that time and experiencing at that time. And so like that, you know, I had to I had to get past that because I also remember when Blueprint came out and we were bugging out in the dorms for months. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, I was in college when that came out. And, again, just the it, – it was a – it was a uh, it totally changed how at that, in, that, in that decade kind of approached putting together their albums, I think. It kind of shifted yep. things, again, away from heavy collabo, you know, which was the norm up until that point. And he kind of stepped away from that and was, as you said, it's like, this is me, very clear, concise, you know, my thoughts, laying them out, great production, um, and kind of really shifted things at that point. So, uh, and then Get Rich and Die Trying really kind of probably was the one that I kind of got stuck on the most just because of how, 50 and the mix t- and the mixtape scene and how 50 really influenced like the game from that perspective of marketing, the mixtapes, the fake beef and, and that aspect of creating a persona and you know the fake beef manufactured angst was a big part of that era. <laughs> a big part of that Re- reality star, reality rap yeah. star. Yeah. Yeah, and so 50 kind of brought that to the forefront, but I just didn't feel it was all-encompassing. Because Jay had beef on his, and his was authentic beef, and his was well-executed, you know what I mean? So, you know, when you talk about the blueprint, you had the takeover, uh, song cry, you know, just the diversity of, you know, H.C. Izzo, just the diversity of, of songs on there. You know, never change. Heart of the city. I mean, just on and on and on. Like you said, there isn't really a bad song on there. Um, yeah. So that's the one I had to settle on as well. Um, but I I did give strong consideration to get Richard Die Trying just because it, it definitely impacted other rappers as, and shifted their formula of how they were going to go about making themselves big, right? Yep. Who can I not? Yep. Who can I start a beef with to make a name for myself? How many mixtapes can I release? You know, this month. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that aspect of the game, I, I think, was impactful and and was significant. But I, I couldn't put it as a piece of art and as encompassing and representative. I couldn't put it above blueprint. <laughs> so, as we move on to the teens, um. Again, this one we're still. I mean, we're at, we're halfway through. So this is obviously a um, uh, uh, a era that a decade that will be amended at some point. But in these five years, um, again, I think things have, have we've experienced some shifts um, and some 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 shuffling of who's at the top of the game and what the game is about and and you know where things are at. So. Tell me about your thought process as you begin to think about the first five years of the teens. Yeah, this this was uh, pretty easy. One, because it's recent. And two, because uh, I have been kind of writing about, 
you know, what are the, what I think the best albums for the last couple of years have been. So, you know, I literally had my thoughts still on paper that I could like refer to. And uh, at the end of the day, since it's only halfway through, I just thought, okay, who is the person who has influenced the game as we know it for the last five years? And I really mm-hmm. only think there's one answer. <laughs> right. And it's Drake. Yeah. And so it's like, oh. okay, well, So Far Gone came out in 08. Um, so I was tempted to say, like, well, really, honestly, that might have been the most influential album for the for for our you know for this current five years because it kind of established the kind of music he was going to make. It was immensely popular. It drew in guys and it drew in ladies, and he's pretty much just built on that. But uh, if I had to pick one that was released in 2010, I would say "Thank Me Later" probably is the most representative for um for these you know this half a decade okay that's that's not a bad choice i also went with drake i took i picked a different album though um i picked nothing was the same um mm-hmm. and the reason i went with nothing was the same is i feel like you know i think he found his his he hit his stride with that one um mm-hmm. from the intro to pound cake the last song I just felt like he hit his stride. He was able to do him. He found an edge um, that I think lyrically people could respect. I think to me that's his best lyrical album as far as just straight getting after it on the mic. Yeah. I felt like he brought it the most on that one, but he still had his signature sing-songy, you know, uh Lady songs for the ladies, right? He still had yeah. that vibe, but I thought he, I thought he found that perfect match on that album of how to kind of still have some of his streetness with worst behavior, um, you know, songs like that that uh, kind of let him still not be so viewed as so soft. <laughs> yeah. So was that 2012? That was 2013. 2011. 2013. Okay. 2013. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that one. That I was one not. Was, I yeah. was not a fan of. Uh, nothing was the same. I <clears throat> for for uh, actually the flip side of the reason you just stated. I I would have preferred if his stride was. Uh, thank me later. That then I would have yeah. been like, okay, I can mess with this dude. The fact that his stride ended up being. A little more on the emo with nothing was the same. Maybe kind of be like, oh, you can do better. That's when it really got got frustrated me because I knew I was like, you have lyrics, you can rap. I know you can. Why do you have yeah. really bad songs? Like really bad songs. Like <laughs> uh, like ungodly what bad. Like I have to. This? Oh man, I, <laughs> I'm trying to even think of them now. I honestly make I'll now when Drake albums come out, I take it. them. And I put them in a playlist without those songs. So I've been listening to okay. my version of <laughs> of that album. But uh, anyone where he's just singing. Yeah. Anyone where he's so, just singing and it's slow and he's trying to do his Usher, Chris Brown thing. Yeah, I'm out. I'm all yeah. the way out on that. Yeah. So furthest thing, I think, is probably one you probably don't like too much. Um <laughs> The Wu Tang Forever one, maybe. 
How did? Okay, come on. Like that is that's just that's he the, understands but, the game. But, you can't put Wu Tang in a title. No, yeah. no, you can't put yeah. Wu Tang in a title yeah, you, you, and have right, that a song that that's soft. soft. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, when I clicked on that one on the playlist, I was like, okay, this is gonna be different, and it was not what I expected at all. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is that sandwiched in between those two songs, it started from the bottom. And then, you know, yeah. you got Worst Behavior. And then you got yeah. From Time with uh, Jane Ica, which was a really good joint. Um, you know, I don't Pound know. Cake. I feel like, yeah. yeah, Pound Cake, Too Much. You know, Too Much, I yeah. think, was a great song. Um, the Language. And so he had, I think there were moments um, on there. Even, you know, with Going Home is what it is. You know, that. I mean, it is what it is. You know, that's yeah. that's him trying to make it happen and do his his singy singy thing. Um, yeah. All me. I mean, that's that's another one that that you know. I felt like, like I said, I felt like he had. Some, I felt like, and maybe you know, he kind of again. He kind of. I felt like he found that balance. I don't think. I don't think his uh, his singy songy. I, I agree with you. I can agree with you. I don't think his singy songy songs were as good as his singy songy songs on. Uh, uh, thank me later. Like um, the joint with Rihanna, um, that that's a great song. Um, that's a great yeah. song. I don't care what you like. Um, that's yeah. a great song. Um, so you know, I, I dig it. I dig it. I, I felt like that one um, again more on the songs that I like on this one. I felt like he more solidified himself as more of a rapper. Um, and less of a, a pop artist. And that's why I kind of chose this one. You know, on the songs where he went hard as a rapper, um, again, Tuscan Leather, Started from the Bottom, Worst Behavior, you know, Pound Cake, I felt like those, I felt like those songs were better than the songs where he tried to spit on Thank Me Later. But on the flip mm-hmm. side, the more poppy songs on nothing was the same, aren't as good as the poppy songs on Thank Me Later. Well, luckily, I will not be, I will not be listening to these back-to-back to verify <laughs> or deny that that is the case. Go so I'll, I'll just let that Don't one go. go. Back to back. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going back-to-back back on Drake. No, no thank you. <laughs> uh, what other albums did you give consideration in the short five years? Good Kid, Mad City, um, and uh, Teflon Don, actually, uh, Rick Ross's album, I thought um, kind of captured, you know, what the new, he's got a unique sound, but it's one that I think a lot of people try to imitate um, and pretty much trying to be larger than life, be like, have their street credentials really be verified. And uh, on that album, he brought in a lot of folks that I think also typify that. So that had a lot of um, features from like T.I. and CeeLo's on that and Drake's on it and Jay-Z's on it. And it's like, okay, this actually really does, when I when I listen to that, I think about that time period. Like, yeah, this really does kind of typify the way rap was for a two- to four-year period. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, he's – 
Ross has just got his own stuff happening. He's got his own lane, and um, it's and Drake is just everywhere. Drake's that dude. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave I gave consideration to uh, uh, J Cole's last one, um, and again, that to me that's his that's his attempt at an idiomatic type of uh, oh yeah out um, where oh, yeah. it's him, um and it's it's it it comes off as really personal, um, but very grounded, um, very relatable at the same time. Um Good Kid Mad City obviously um for me was was up there. And it's one I like. Again, and this this is just where I'm at right now. It's one I like a lot. I don't know how impactful it is as far as where because it's it's really recent, but again, Dark Sky Paradise. Again, I think it's one that just people are, and it's today. It's today's kind of climate, but it's one of those I think we're gonna look back and be like, man, that was a heck of an album. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's Big Sean's last one that I I find highly enjoyable. Um, yeah. The other one that that I did give consideration to that happened in 2010 was uh, My Beautiful Dark Fantasy. Um, which was Kanye. But again, I kind of felt like that one was a residual, a holdover from, you know, uh, the previous because Kanye had to come hard because people were so upset about 808 and heartbreak. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I felt like that one was a little bit, um, an album he should have made, uh, three years earlier. It's still amazing, still an amazing album, but I feel like that one should have come. That one would have come, um, a couple years earlier, um, and was more representative of the previous era than necessarily where we're at right now. Um, so interesting exercise, interesting exercise. Uh, never want to do that again. So, yeah. So what did we learn today? The nineties was chock full of good stuff. Um, really, really good stuff. And it was, uh, a, a schizophrenic era. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Think about what, why do you think that was with the nineties? Why? Because I don't think I, when I was thinking about the two thousands, you know, I don't think um, I think there's a definite vein, a consistent vein that runs through the two thousand, and I think there's a consistent vein running through now. Why was the nineties so all over the place in your opinion? Um. You know, the only way I could describe it is like um, I think it was the adolescence of hip hop. You know, so the 80s kind of was the birth. People talk about the golden age in the late 80s. And so they kind of set the standard for, okay, this is what an album should look like. And here's kind of what you need. Here are the elements for you to have a good album. But you know, if you take that, it gets interpreted in New York one way, it gets interpreted in Atlanta one way, it gets interpreted in Texas another way. And so um, each of those places had folks that maybe were just given opportunities to actually make music. And so, um, you know, the commercialization of it probably helped a, a, a bunch of flowers bloom at the same time. Whereas, you know, in the 80s, there was three, you know, labels, and if you weren't in one of those three, you know, good luck. Whereas in the 90s, you had um, more money being poured into them and kind of this uh, this blossoming of, of in a bunch of different areas. Because that's really, 
it's geographic to me. I mean, New York has pretty, you know, much, uh, you know, grimy in the early 90s. And then, you know, Bad Boy kind of came in uh, and Wu-Tang came in. And you, you know, again, had to pick sides. Like you were with one and you were with the other. But it's when you look across the country that you see all types of things. I mean, soul food tripped me out, right, to, to, to have, because I thought like, well, you know, if you're not public enemy or if you're not um, one of these guys from that camp, you know, you're, you 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 guys down south, you're just rapping about, you know, whatever. You know, you're just putting words right. together, but you're not really teaching me anything. And then I listen to Soul Food, and I'm like, wow, this these guys are preaching. They're literally preaching, right, on, on record, and it's soulful, and it's everything. And it kind of said, I said, oh, my God, like, this is crazy. I'm a better person for having listened to this album. And so uh that kind of turned me on to that the you know the whole Dungeon family and after that I was hooked. You know, so an album like Soulful coming out in 95, I mean, who could have predicted that? It was just unpredictable. It's an unpredictable decade. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I I like it into the uh California Gold Rush in the, you know, 1850s or whatever, 1840s or whatever. You know, everybody was looking to unearth that next big thing. And I think as the game has changed, everybody's looking to unearth the next big thing that was like the last big thing. Where I think then, you know, you had labels, as you pointed out, you had multiple labels and multiple avenues for artists to kind of get out there. And, you know, it was kind of like we were able to hear the diversity of the African-American experience across or the hip-hop cultural experience across the country, whereas I think after that period, um, it became an industry. Um, and, you know, then it became we're going to make it this way instead of finding those nuggets that they still exist today. Um, and I think yeah. that's, you know, that's a pet peeve of mine when people say, well, it's so different now. It's, you just got to look a little harder, man. The Internet's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got these things called computers. You know, you, you type in <laughs> stuff and it gives you information. It's crazy. You should try it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when people, I think that that's the big, I think that's what allowed the 90s to be the 90s, that there were so many avenues. Um, and the processes of getting it to consumers were streamlined enough where it didn't, bog down and jam up the creativity of the artist, right? Like, mm-hmm. I knew Tuesday mm-hmm. Sam, Goody was, Sam Goody was a place to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Tuesday, you knew, you, knew, you knew where to get it. You knew how to get it. You knew when it was coming out. You had the sources and, you know, the rap pages and all those things that were giving you what was coming up. You knew when to get it. You could get it. There were several outlets of people putting it out. And so, you know, it wasn't this this flooding um, or there wasn't this, like, tight, you know, noose on the outlet only letting certain things out. Um, so it, it was just different in that way. And I think it was one of those kind of, like you said, like you were saying about the uh, basketball analogy, it's timing. Um, yeah. And I think about that all the time. Like, I think certain rappers may have had better careers if they were rapping now, like Redman, I would love <laughs> to have Redman out now where Redman could record a song today 
and it'd just be out. Right? Yeah. I think sometimes yeah. Red was held back by the fact he had to put together an album. You know, yeah. even Method Man. Like, I just, I want vintage prime Method Man in 2010 where he can just, again, wake up, roll out of bed, he's got a studio in his closet, go in, fit some stuff, and just put that out. You know what I mean? It didn't have to go through this filtering mechanism that kind of evolved into the later 90s that I think, you know, when you look at albums like Doc's The Name or Takao 2000, it's like, yeah, they're like six songs. And I would just like to hear those six songs over and over and over from you guys, <laughs> you know? So, you mm-hmm. know, timing is timing is a big part of it, but I feel like artists like that would have been better served to be in this market. And there may be some artists, you know, today who would be better served to be, a, who would have been better served in another era where, you know, consumers would have had easier access to their music. Um, but I would love to see guys like Meth and Red today as 22-year-olds um, with nothing to do but rap and smoke <laughs> and see what they would come that, up with in today's climate, man. That's ASAP. That's what you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I think of that and I say, like, okay, um, so that's, you know, one album that I listened to earlier this year, you know, the new ASAP Rocky, and I said, um, He's definitely on some serious drugs, but, you know, he's, you know, he knows how to make music. He's got an ear for putting these things together. That's really unique. It's, it, it took me a while to, to, to go to it because they just look weird to me. Um, you know, just seeing them and seeing their videos, I was like, I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. But um, now I kind of see this guy really is just a creative mind. He's red man except he's in 2015. So this is what Redman looks like in 2015. It's ASAP Rocky. It's a dude that can do whatever he wants and makes weird kind of songs, but his fans and true hip-hop fans love his his spirit, and they love, you know, they, they understand, and this is how it was with a Redman album, like you're going to sit through some songs and you're like, I don't know what he was going for with this song. There's like a verse or two that's dope, but I, I'm lost. And then he'll hit you with a song where it all comes together, and you're like, oh, this is great. And then it'll be a skit that's really random but hilarious. And, you know, and that's – it was like a movie, you know, listening to one of his albums. And uh, that's kind of how I feel with – certain artists still have that vibe about them. And I think Kendrick is another guy that's like that that does not make a linear album. He makes – or a formulaic album. He makes a kind of – production and it's got acts and it's got uh you know intermissions and it's got all kind of things that kind of keep you interested but it's not a spoon-fed kind of uh kind of music type yeah good points good points so the last thing that we wanted to kind of the last little bit of ground that we wanted to kind of cover on that sports fans um there are certain guys that become kind of iconic across hip-hop, and sports. And Kobe Bryant uh, announced that he was going to be retiring um, after this season. And Kobe's one of those guys who, you know, in the same sense where we would go to a barbershop and debate, you know, who our favorite rappers are or, you know, sit around a card table and and discuss, you know, who our favorite, you know, which MCs would devour which MCs. Uh, we do the same thing with our athletes and which basketball players, which football players are better, who's better 
Um, and Kobe is one of those guys who, again, came into the game in the mid-'90s, has persevered multiple eras. And so, you know, I threw it out there. If we had to compare Kobe and his career to a rapper's career, who are we, what rapper would Kobe Bryant be? Uh, <laughs> I'm interested to hear your selection. I'll go first on this one because um, it was my – my cat, my 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 exercise. Please, yes, um, I want to see what you were thinking with this question. <laughs> Though I have a so, good one, I got one that I think, all right, on multiple levels works. So I, I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, so when I think of Kobe Bryant, right, I think a of a uh, immensely talented individual um, who seemed to operate with a a fanatical um, kind of obsessive uh, giant king-sized chip on his shoulder. Um, and that chip is what drives him to greatness. Um, it also is what turns people off. Um, it's also what makes him very difficult to work with. It's also what makes him um, likable to some. Um, it's because he, he, you know what you're going to get. You know he's going to go hard. You know he's going to put his heart and soul into whatever it is he's doing. Um, He also is a guy who came into the game uh, right out of high school, Um, and he had to kind of earn his keep for a couple years. Then he had a a larger star who he had to coexist with for an extended period of time. Um, And and he had some great success with. And yeah. then there was a kind of a, a, a lull in his career. You know, people forget about some of those mid, some of those early aughts with Kobe after Shaq left. It was some lean years. When he scored <laughs> yeah. anyone he had to. <laughs> yeah, they only won anyone by like 12. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there were some years that were lean. Um, and then, you know, he had a second act where he, he got around the right folks and, and reestablished himself um, as one of the uh, icons of his era. Um, so the, the the person I felt like most um, the the most similar comparison as far as a rapper would go um, was Kanye West, um, and you know even from the symbolic aspect of you got a guy going straight to high school and Kanye's first album is a college dropout. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But just Kanye's obsessive desire to be great and how that can lead him to make some of the most rash decisions um, as far as PR um, that you can think of and how some people it turns people off. But you can't – I've never heard anybody really argue with the product that Kanye mm-hmm. and Kanye's ability to make an album and to put out a good album and no one's ever argued his talent and I think Kobe's the same way. You can feel however you want to feel about Kobe. I have never considered myself a Kobe Bryant fan. But mm-hmm. Kobe's ill. Kobe can play basketball and that's something you can't take away from him regardless of how you feel about him. He's good. Um and then there's the eight oh eight at heartbreak. <laughs> and that, that coincided with Kobe's downtime, right? <laughs> that uh that uh that going from being the golden boy, right, which Kanye had established mm-hmm. himself after the graduation, 
as kind of the next guy to grab that torch. He kind of, you know, him and 50 had that battle, right, where he killed 50. Mm-hmm. 50 wanted to put mm-hmm. his album out on the same day, and he kind of said with a statement with the graduation, I'm that dude right now. Yeah. And then yep. 808 came out. And for Kobe, it was the same. He was the golden boy, and then Colorado happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That incident mm-hmm. in Colorado, and it totally switched the narrative on him. Um, and it was a cloud that kind of he carried with him for quite some time. And, you know, again, around 2010, you know, he comes out of his funk with, you know, he gets Gasol, he gets Lamar Odom, a young Bynum, and, you know, his his beautiful dark fantasy is realized, right? Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. back on top. Uh, so that that's kind of how I saw the comparison and, and kind of framed it up in my head. Um, so Kanye West is Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant is Kanye West. Interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. That's what. That's not who I picked. Um, and okay. the the only um, I guess the thing for me that doesn't match up is Kanye kind of lost it because of personal tragedy. You know, like his his mom passed, and then he just kind of you know he was dealing with it on wax yes. with 808s and all that stuff. Whereas Kobe's was self-inflicted. <laughs> you know, Kobe <laughs> drove Shaq out of there. And so while, you know, when I listened to 808, I was kind of like, oh, I don't like this very much, but you know what? I I understand what this guy's doing and I kind of feel for him. You know, I, I, I feel he's kind of lost and he's like, I, I don't feel like rapping and, Rapping about sneakers, like I'm sad, so I'm gonna make sad, sad music. So it, it's for that because I thought about the Kanye thing, but I was like, eh, I need somebody that's got a ton of hubris, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, it, it steps out and just kind of falls flat, and then is 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 blessed to run into somebody else to help him put it all back together, and. Um, I went back and forth with two, but the the guy who I ended up going with, and this is going to probably surprise you, is Common, Common Sense. Mm. Um, mm. And so the the so here's my thing. One, you know, again, out the box, Common with Resurrection. I mean, the album was the album was crazy, but you know, he because of who he was and where he was, he wasn't considered a superstar, right? He was oh, this is a good guy and. Yeah, that's an, uh, an, a critically acclaimed album, but, you know, no one's really putting you in any upper echelon. Um, and uh, early in his career, it was him with No ID. So I, I put his shack as his producer. So No ID was the guy that kind of found him and produced that album, and One Day It'll All Make Sense, which were just great out. Just, I mean, I, I could go on forever. Like, Common's first couple albums are like poetry. They're They're great. If you haven't listened to him, go right now and listen to him. Um, and then he kind of broke away from No ID and said, you know, I'm kind of, I'm big time. I can do this. I'm going to go off on my own. He kind of got with the Soquarians and he kind of started getting with Badu and got real weird and made Electric Circus. And that was terrible, right? Electric Circus was was Kobe playing with... Uh, whoever the hell he was playing with after Shaq left with uh, Brian Davis 
and uh, you know all that stuff. So that that was it. And then uh, Common runs into to Kanye, so he has you know overlap with Kanye, and starts ma- and makes B right, which is for me. Kobe got back with Powell and got and they won two chips, but no one is saying like that team was as good as the first team. Right, it was good, and congrats to you. Like B was a great album, but B was not Resurrection. B was not one day at all. Like it just, he was a different guy. He couldn't do the same things he did before, but it's still really, really good. And he's still shown on, and he showed that he's the man. The big reason why I had to choose Common is, since then he's been pretty terrible, and that's a part <laughs> that you have to connect with with Kobe, which is. You have to compare him to somebody who, at this point, you do not want to hear come out with any new material. Like, I'm good if Common does not come out with another album. I just really don't want to hear it. I've listened to him, and, you know, he he has flashes. Like, Kobe, every now and again, I have a step back that looks nice, but he's shooting 30%. And that's the same thing with Common now. So when I thought about, all right, good initially, low, and then good again, right, which is what you you kind of talked about, but then also someone who is probably an all-time great and really just is not doing it for you. And Common is an actor now, right? Like, just act. Just do that, right? And so that's that's why I compare him to Common. I ain't mad at that. I ain't mad at that. You laid that out well. You laid that out well. I could appreciate that. <laughs> but you it's gotta like be someone that's terrible now. It's gotta be some yeah, electric circle is awful. But it's gotta be someone that at at the end is like, please leave. That that is and, yeah. and Kanye's yeah. not there. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. And Common definitely is. I'm with you on Kyle. I love him to death. I love him to death. One of my favorite MCs, but I'm good. <laughs> Straight. Put a bow on that. I'm career. totally Yeah. 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 I'm totally like, yeah, we're good. I, I mean, I think he came out with something recently, and I was just kind of like, uh, never mind. I'm kind of like that with the Roots now, too. I don't, I don't know where you mm. are with them, but I'm kind of like that with them mm. as well. It's kind of like, eh, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm okay. You know, I like I like what you did before. Yeah. I still have Yeah, they'll never, you know I mean? they'll never be able to, to replicate it. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, man, we, we've gone over time. Um, this is another edition of Hustle and Flows with Marcus and Sekou. Uh We've had a blast uh, chatting it up. We'll get another another podcast on the calendar. I'll let you. I'll let you come up with the topics for the next one, my man. And you can you can, you right. can put me through the ringer. I kind of good. You know, we challenge each other that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but uh, it's been great, man, chopping it up with you. Uh, I hope you listeners out there, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, Hustle and Flows on the Real Sports Guys Network. Uh, make sure if you're not downloading the podcast, you can go to realsportsguys.com and download it. Make subscribe. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Hustle and Flows. Uh, this is another extension uh, of the Real Sports Guys Network. Um, we keep growing this thing, and we're glad to have Seiko aboard um, as we continue to grow this. Um, but uh, this has been a blast. Uh, I'm enjoying this, bro. Um, so yeah. until next time, we out. Peace.